You're listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners with our featured conversation with Richard Tubb and George Bauditi of Bevoip. My name is Jeff Nicholson, and this podcast is all about helping you grow your IT business. In this episode, Richard talks with George Bardisi, the CEO of two companies, a managed service provider based out in Philadelphia and a cloud communications provider which works with other MSPs around the world. George shares his 17-year journey in the MSP industry and the lessons he's learned about building a successful MSP business, scaling a business, and helping other MSPs around the world implement successful voice-over IP telecom solutions. This episode was recorded via a video call between Richard at home in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England, and George in Philadelphia, USA. And now, without further ado, here's Richard Tubb talking with George Bodisi. Hi, everyone. Richard Tubb here. And today I'm joined by George Bardisi, the CEO of two companies. Uh, George is the CEO of an MSP based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he's also the CEO of another company, Bvoip, a cloud communications company that works with MSPs around the world. Now, having started his MSP in the year 2000, George has experienced the IT and managed service space all the way from BreakFix to pure play MSP. In fact, his 17-year journey has provided a number of really hard lessons on several fronts and a number of successes. And George's second company, Bvoip, is currently leading the way in solving the pain that so many MSPs experience with unified communication. George, it's a pleasure to have you here with me today. Appreciate the uh, the call, Richard. It's been uh, it's been a long time coming, and I've been following you for quite some time. You're you're quite the celebrity over there in the UK. <laughs> well, let's make this all about you. People are sick of hearing about me, George. So let's hear it all about you today. In fact, where do we find you in the world today? So actually. Uh, Luckily enough, I'm uh, born raised here out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, here in the States. It's about an hour and a half drive, depending on how fast you like to drive. Uh, I'd like to drive fast uh, from New York City, south. Um, so we're right here in that, what we call it the Northeast sector, the 95 corridor, if you will, uh, between Northern Virginia, DC, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, uh, which many people may not know. Trivia uh, point here is that about 40% of the entire United States' population lives in that area wow. wow yeah so it's it's quite uh it's quite consolidated and there's a lot of people in a small area which is uh i guess just luck of the draw um mm-hmm. and and lucky for me because my parents actually immigrated into the states uh, and i'm first generation so i uh, i lucked out wow and, and the reason i ask where you are today is because i know that you're a frequent traveler and you attend lots of um industry events you enjoy traveling in fact before we came on air just share with uh, the audience again how many miles that you did last year by air and by road yeah so in 2016 i did 169,000 and change uh air miles i did another 39,000 miles and change on the road uh, and I lost count of uh, how many security checks, stops, traffic citations, parking tickets, and everything else that has accrued as a result. Wow, that is a lot of miles. I, I, so I've got to start off by asking you something about traveling and something specifically about IT conferences. Now, our mutual good friend, Chris Tate across at Datto, um, he was at DattoCon recently. What's all this, George, about you throwing the party to end all parties at DattoCon? And how do giant pizzas fit into all of this? I, I need to know. Well, um, 
we got a little bit late into booking our rooms for DadoCon. And the hotels at the conference were suggesting were all sold out. So we uh, we just went on Airbnb and we're like, hey, what's close by? I'm bringing five people to the party and, and no offense, but I don't want to have to travel five miles by Uber every day to get to the event. And luckily, and I don't know how, maybe it was just a good day, uh, we ended up finding a 4,000 square foot penthouse, wow. uh, like literally a block and a half away from the venue that Datocon was at. And we're like, hey, this this is perfect. Sleeps fourteen. I have five. Good enough for me. And uh, we booked the uh, the week. And funny enough, uh, in booking that venue, uh, I, I turned out that they had a four thousand square foot rooftop open air venue uh, wow. in the same building. So we uh, we worked it out with the uh, the landlord to rent that space and figured, why not uh, enjoy the sights of Denver? And uh, every night we kind of did an unofficial. Um, after party, if you would, uh, after all of the conference events had winded down. And let's just say those events did not have a time curfew. It's not <laughs> like the pub where, you know, there's a last call. They went until people decided to go home, which is more than fine with us. Uh, the tw- So it turns out that, you know, once you get to that certain point of the night, you know, a little bit of food goes a long way. Uh, I'm sure we both can, can touch on that. Oh, yeah. And um, there is a uh, place down the street called Big Daddy's Pizza, and their tagline was, we deliver all night long. So uh, we got the 26-inch huge boxes, and uh, let me tell you, they hit the spot. They really did. <laughs> I'm hearing incredible things about these, and I, I hesitate to say party, incredible things about these parties. So uh, it sounds like you took Duff Ocon by storm. Well, you know, we, we've, we've been around the block for some time, and I can't tell you how many conference and, and industry events I've been to over the years. You know, sometimes it's nice just to, you know, have a, have a chat, network over, you know, some drinks, you know, and, and without all of the pomp and circumstance and formality of things, right? Sometimes it's just yeah. nice to unwind and have an off-the-record convo. So we kind of feel like that's a, a nice thing to do when possible. Uh, as you can imagine, in some of these cities, it gets – just crazy in terms of trying to put even a small gathering together in terms of cost and where we can do it reasonably. I think that's the right thing to do. And and in this case, it worked out very well. I love it. I love it. So, so let's get down to business then and specifically the managed service provider business. So as I alluded to at the, uh, the start of our interview, you started by DC Enterprises in the year 2000. Would that be right? That's right. Uh, yeah. I st- I got in. I got started early on. Um, I was actually still in uh, in school at the time, and a couple of opportunities came by my way, um, and was able to kind of get the business started early. By the time I actually got to university, I already had a full running um, entity with something about seven or eight employees at the time. I forget the exact count, and we were really just jamming on projects, lots and lots of projects that ultimately resulted in. Break fix because when you install something, as we all know, technology breaks. It's not an if, it's a when, and uh, and that was challenging. Uh, and then ultimately, it came down to well, let's start doing service and maintenance plans. And then you get into that nitty gritty where some stuff gets covered, and then what about the stuff that isn't? And then how do you properly handle that? Uh, and it became a a scalability problem. Really, um, it came to the point where. We were spending more time arguing with customers over what was truly, uh, you know, invoiceable and what was fair versus what 
time was put out. And when you spend more time collecting money than you do performing the services, I think that's counterintuitive. Um, so we really grew the hard way through the industry. And maybe that's just how I grow, you know, go through life. And, and I'll admit that that's not the best way to do it. Uh, but, you know, we eventually got into the, um, hey, we really need to work out a ongoing answer, right? And then you get into that multi-tier bronze, gold, silver opportunity, right? Where everyone always chooses the cheapest plan and then complains when it's not covered, <laughs> um, which kind of echoed the running after your money, you know, more than actually performing the services at times, which didn't sit well. And then finally, we said, you know, not every customer is the right customer. What you need to do is find people that understand the value of not always running after a fire and more about running their businesses and growing. And those are the people that don't want excuses and don't want to wait and don't necessarily want to have a surprise. They're the people that want it figured out, planned, and understand what their their story looks like, you know, from a budgetary standpoint and an experience standpoint. And so we decided to collapse the bronze, gold, silver and go into a all-in or all-out approach. And each time we made a business model change, there was customers that churned. Not everybody comes along with you through that journey, right? From break, fix, to project, to some stuff covered, some stuff not, to bronze, gold, silver, to all in. Um, there was a considerable effort in going through that process and understanding which customers care to stick with you and which customers say, this isn't, this isn't for me. Um, and part of the challenge there was really understanding, and quite frankly, it's still a very critical conversation if you talk to MSPs who are even starting today or maybe even have been in business for a while is, what is the mix, the bundle, the overall package of things being delivered managed and consolidated into the plan. Um, as we know, technology doesn't stand still. I mean, you, I'm sure the headlines today in the, in the UK are talking about the WannaCry 2.0 and how that's really messing people up and that's starting to trickle around the world. I mean, security is a thing that even as early as two or three years ago was something that was best effort and not really concentrated on. That to me is an example of something that's and you know having to evolve, right? The package and the solution has to evolve. So you know, over the years, that may have been staple services, you know, like firewalls as a service and antivirus and backup to now probably a mix of twenty to thirty services, uh, which could be small, bigger in between. So you know, at the end of the day, where are we today from it from an MSP? Um, Today, we manage about 155 accounts here in Philadelphia, New Jersey, and Delaware. Uh, they, we call that the tri-state area. But of course, anytime you put three states together, they call it the tri-state area. Uh, but just close to home because that's where we started. Um, we average, our, you know, and while we do have some grandfathered accounts, we really target employee, you know, organizations with about 50 to 100 employees. That seems to be our sweet spot. And... Um, we, we, we average about five to $7,000 a month in recurring. That seems to be our average when you m mesh all of those services together that I kind of breezed over. And uh, I think we're doing about five and a half in turnover. So I think that that's a healthy MSP. Uh, we're by no means a juggernaut. Uh, we're regional, and, and I think we do a good job where we are. And, and keep in mind, with all of that, um, you know, that, 
40% of people in the United States living in this small area, there's plenty of business to go around and many MSPs to service them. So at the end of the day, we're not trying to grow uh, faster than we can chew, but I think we grow uh, on a steady and reasonable uh, rate from an MSP perspective. And what, George, what compelled you to start the company back in 2000? You know, technology is just something that I really enjoyed, right? I started the company, like almost every company, one-man band, you know, out of the trunk or the basement or whatever. And um, I just really enjoyed it. I loved solving problems with tech. And maybe I watched too much Knight Rider and <laughs> and and all the other shows growing up. But uh, I just, you know, it was one of the things that really um, – I didn't go to learn. I self-taught, you know, and really got into it because I was excited about it, right? Uh, and then over time, you know, you, you get into it and you start to mature into what works and what doesn't and, and you build your business. But it's really something that I, I think a lot of people in this industry don't get into it because it's just this, the, the fun thing to do, meaning it's the next get rich scheme. Uh, I, I don't think anyone in this industry would say that uh, being in the IT services business is meaning get rich overnight. Uh, <laughs> it's hard work. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you enjoy technology, then it makes sense to get your hands dirty and show people what's possible. If you weren't working in technology, what do you think you'd be doing right now? <laughs> That's a great <laughs> question. Uh, the people that know me well say that I love to argue with people. Um, maybe it's a family trait, probably is. I would probably be a solicitor or an attorney uh, and somebody that probably goes into courtrooms and, and fights the good fight. Um, I've, I actually was seriously consider um, finishing out my technology career from an education standpoint and proceeding on to uh, university, you know, you know, secondary, uh, you know, law school, if you would, here. Um, actually, at one point, my, my now wife was laughing at me because I was looking up where you could uh, take the bar exam, which is the, you know, the exam that you have to pass in order to become an, uh, a licensed attorney in states that don't require you to have graduated from law school. So there's five states in the United States where you can become an apprentice of an existing attorney for a period of time, and then you can apply to take the bar exam without ever having paid the university a couple hundred grand to, you know, do the do. <laughs> so if the whole um, BVOIP thing doesn't work out and the MSP thing, which I've no doubt it's going to, we'll talk about that in a minute, the success you've had, but um, we can see you moving into uh, maybe the law career. I think so. I think that would be fun for me. I, I really, uh, I don't know. I mean, I was just really enamored with, um, they had a series that just came out, I believe it's on Netflix now, called The uh, the People versus OJ. And even though that trial happened like 25 years ago, it just was exciting, right? I just really got into that. And, and you know, I'm sure the, the BBC probably shows some of these crazy people here in the States and some of the trials that come through. And, you know, you just really get hooked into the story and, and the facts and the evidence and preponderance of evidence. And, you know, it just is really interesting. And, and it's people. It's not perfect. It's people. It's a, it's a game. It's a game. And maybe I just like that game. Well, I'm glad you're uh, making a success of things in the IT industry. Uh, let's talk about BVoIP for a moment then. So we've talked about Bardassi Enterprises. You've grown that from the one-man band all the way through to uh, essentially a pure play MSP and doing quite well with it. Where does BVoIP fit into this? How, how did you get the company started up and why? 
Yeah, I mean, the challenge early on in our in our MSP journey was standardization, right? Everybody had a different mix of tools when you came in the door. So no differently today than if you walk in the door and somebody's like, well, I just paid for this antivirus subscription and this backup solution. You have to manage it. And managing 10 of those across multiple accounts is not scalable. One of the things that we, in our, you know, in our early kind of not mature thinking was, we'll just go in and figure it out and cover it all under a flat price. Oops. Um, that means that I have to deal with the postage machine and the copier guy and the phone system guy and the door and the front door box. And it just gets crazy at times. Telephony was something that early on, and, and we did it purely off of metrics, was a very difficult challenge. And, and here's why. Um, three years into our MSP, we sat back and said, where are we spending most of our time burn? meaning time that we were spending that, in our opinion, we weren't getting adequately compensated for. Uh, number one, I'm sure, you know, then get granted we're in 0405 now, you know, so it's a little bit, you know, back in time. Number one was on-premise exchange servers. We felt we spent way too much time managing, adding, moving, changing on-premise exchange servers. And, and we were one of the original adopters of what was eventually Microsoft Business Productivity Service, which then morphed into what we now know today as Office 365. Yeah, BPOS, so, I remember it well, yeah. Yeah, so we ripped out every single exchange server we could absolutely get our hands on simply because we got sick and tired of the Microsoft emergency call and sitting for five, six hours trying to figure out why the mail store corrupted or whatever it was. Uh, so that, so that was number one, but right after that, number two was, um, phone system vendor management. We felt that we had something like, um, 38 different phone system solutions or manufacturers that we had to manage between Intertel and Mitel and Toshiba and NEC and Cisco. And I could go on. It was just a long list. And it's very hard to keep up with those solutions. And quite frankly, the integrator, phone system guy, whatever you want to call them that sometimes didn't answer their phone and sometimes didn't show up on time. And when they did, it became the finger pointing game, which created such a time burn. I, I just got really <laughs> aggravated uh, to the point where we spent something like in a fiscal year, January 1 to December 31, we would spend something like 38% of our total time spent as a company on phone system vendor management. That didn't make sense. Now, shame on us. We should have charged more, number one. And number two, we probably should have made it clear of what the responsibilities were uh, you know, when we adopted these customers and said, hey, we're just going to do it all. Here's your flat price. Uh, but we did it. And, and we decided, oh, how can we solve this? And, and really, the answer was, why are we not standardizing the answer? I don't want to be the phone system guy, but if I had one phone system everywhere, my time burn would get cut down tremendously. And that's exactly what happened. We did put one phone system. We adopted one. We installed it you know, on-premise everywhere. And about 12 months after that, our time burn went down by about half. So instead of about 38, 39%, we're about 20%, which still was high in the column enough that I thought there was still effort to be made. Like 20% of total time spent annually is still a big number. So what we ended up doing was saying, 
this on-premise thing creates truck rolls. Truck rolls is the kryptonite to this industry. Sitting in traffic, especially in the UK, if you add, because every time I come over there, it's it's traffic central. And I thought oh, New York traffic was, very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, tra- sitting in traffic just doesn't doesn't make sense financially if you can help it. So when we eventually moved into a hosted model, uh, we and and we scaled that a little bit. We got to a point where we got sub 10%. And that I felt was the sweet spot. That was manageable and that made business sense. And ultimately, when we got that recipe to the point where we felt it was reasonable, we, you know, like many other MSPs who go to events and user groups and trade shows, collaborate with the people that we're friendly with. And we said, what are you guys doing? And most people had the same problems that we had. And we said, well, let's work on it together. And informally, through doing that, we got to the point where it became an option, a solution, a variable that solved the need. And a profit and profitably so. One of the main concerns that I see, even today, is that you become a partner or reseller of some company, but the dollars in it is not exciting. There's not enough there to really get hungry on it. It's like an okay thing. It's like, give me something back for my effort, but it's not really paying me back enough. And we wanted to build a solution that made it profitable for MSPs, right? I mean, if you're not making money doing something, why are you doing it? It makes no sense to me. So that was one of the things that we were really after. Something that scaled, something that took time burn away, something that was profitable. And and ultimately, when we did take BVoIP and make it a separate entity from our MSP into its own baby. We did channel only, um, not, you know, referencing our pal Tady over there at Datto. Uh, it's a very Datto like model, right? Where we don't sell direct. We're here for the MSP and we want to make them feel confident that they have a solution that not only they can build off of, but that they can profitably uh, deploy to their customers. And that's really in essence the point. So that was four years ago now that you spun BVoIP out of your MSP. Would that be right? Yeah, a little. It's, we're not quite at four years. We're getting close to Okay. So in, in simple terms, what do you, what do BVoIP do? Because you said you work in the channel. What do you, how do you help MSPs now? Sure. So, you know, one of the things that we've done is made a, a, a almost like a VoIP RMM type platform, right? We wanted the ability that, you know, because let's call it what it is. Um, telephony is still very hardware driven at the end user level, right? Um, and don't get me wrong. Um, we have many partners and customers that are uh, all soft phone, all electronic. There is no physical box on the desk. That's growing, but not necessarily the, the norm, right? It's not the majority. People still expect a box on the desk that rings with the receiver. And so when you put these devices out there, the challenge is, is how do you manage them at scale, right? You have a couple of customers, it's not a big deal. You have 50, 100, 150 customers, it becomes challenging. So we built a platform to manage all of those devices at scale. You want to reboot them all, you can reboot them all. You want to update them all, you can update them all. You want to buy a device from distribution and have it delivered, and when you take it out of the box, it automatically provisions itself, and you don't have to spend time you know, pressing buttons and figuring out how to get it connected. Yep, we figured that out too. And so that was an important, crucial cog. Um, the other cog is we didn't want to build a technology solution that created a survivability problem. The more hardware you put on site, 
the more challenging it becomes when there's a failure, right? There's many solutions out there, and the telephony space is, you know, crowded to say the least, that expect you to put some box on site, right? Other than your customer's router or firewall to make those phones connect to the other side. My argument to you is if that's a box that has to go on site, then what's the point of having the phone system somewhere else? You might as well just put the phone system on site. (laughs) We didn't think that model made sense. We think that you should just plug your phone in. And as long as as an MSP, you got the networking part down, and most do, it should just work. It should connect and it should find home on the other side. And and all of a sudden things are, you know, underway. So the kind of crucial cogs to our wheel, how we make it easy for MSPs is an easily deployable system, an easy to manage system after it's been deployed, a VoIP RMM of sorts, that's the way we view it. And then ultimately something that is you know, system agnostic, right? We don't care what internet provider you're on. Uh, we don't care if your customer's locked into a dial tone contract because that's very, you know, common. Uh, we don't care if your customers like one phone versus another as long as they're not proprietary. We're giving you choice. As an MSP, we want you to standardize on what you feel more confident with. Are you a Polycom fan? Then use Polycom phones. Are you a Snome or Snom fan? Then use Snome. I'm not going to stop you. If it works, uh, you know, and if it's not proprietary, like an Avaya phone, for example, that has to connect to an Avaya phone system, then use it. What I want to concentrate with you know, the MSP on is a way to standardize that offering and build it out in a way that they're making a multiple X markup, not just a very small commission. And in my opinion, the market ranges anywhere from 10 to 20, and let's say you're aggressively at 25%. Our partners, on average, see a 2X markup as their starting point. And to me, that's an, a more compelling story. And so that's kind of the starting point for us. Yeah. Why have you been successful? Why has BVoIP been successful? You, you said it's a crowded market. It most certainly is. Why have you been successful when other companies like BVoIP have failed? It's a great point. I mean, we really looked as, as BVoIP as a SaaS company, right? We're not a carrier, um, you know, like in, you know, we're not a BT, for example, over in the UK, and, and we're not a Gamma for that matter. You know, we don't necessarily deal, you know, you know, take responsibility of that component, right? The PSTN or the, the, the dial tone connectivity part, you can bring whichever partner to the table that you want. We have several that we partner with. So on that front, we're not trying to be viewed and valued as a uh, telecommunications company. We view ourselves as a SaaS company. And one of the major reasons why we view ourselves that way is that we really concentrated as a business model specifically to work with other IT and managed services companies because that's where we came from, right? We didn't necessarily go to the market and say, we want to be the next uh, Verizon here in the United States or T-Mobile in Europe, right? So from that angle, everything we do is specifically around going through the IT channel, not necessarily the telco channel, in trying to take something that traditionally was somebody else's problem, right? The phone guy, and making it deployable and manageable and profitable for IT services providers. So that's a little bit different of a a strategy, if you would. And then the other part is we feel that while, you know, and I'll throw names out there all day long, the Cisco's and the Polycom's and the, the Skype for businesses of the world. I mean, it is a commodity of sorts, but in the same token, a lot of where our concentration goes to is around integration, right? 
you know, telephony has been around for a long time. The phone will always ring, hopefully. But where we want to take it is really a couple of notches up on the ladder, right? Everyone's using an ERP, a CRM, a PSA, some sort of line of business application that without it, they can't really run their businesses at scale. Well, how how does customer interaction from a you know you know tie into that, right? Are your people, you know, efficient when they're making and receiving phone calls? Or are you digging for data in a system and elongating those customer interactions just to get to the point where you can solve a problem? That's the base challenge, I think. And it grows from there. But in the same token, I think that there's a higher level conversation around the integration factor uh, and being able to take customers who have a sales force or who have a dynamic CRM or who have, a, you know, in the MSP world, the ConnectWise or Autotask or whatever it may be and say, you know what, if I can take the individual, which payroll should probably be the most expensive line item on almost any company's bottom line, right? And say, I'm going to make George 20% more efficient each day or 30% more efficient each day. Because by the time George fields that interaction from a customer, let's say in the phone call, I already have the information up on my screen. My activity is already running. The, my time entry is already being logged. And I'm already underway trying to resolve that customer's inquiry rather than looking up information just to get to that point. And so that's where I think things kind of evolve from where it's been for a long time. So VoIP's been around for a little while now. It's certainly not a new technology, but I actually struggle to find too many MSPs or IT companies that have integrated uh, VoIP uh, as, as a service offering uh, very, very well. What would you say is the biggest mistake you see MSPs, you say your peers making when they try to introduce VoIP into their business as an offering to their clients? I, I met many challenges, and I'll, I'll hit them right as quickly as I can. Please. One, so, you know, the premise-based, the cheap premise-based offering from China seems so attractive until you have to manage it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it becomes frustrating. And you go back to where I was back in 2004, 2005, where I have all of these on-premise boxes that can't be updated easily, trucks have to roll, and, you know, that cheap proposition all of a sudden became a very expensive mistake, right? So that's number one. If it's a couple of sites, it's one thing. If it's all of your customers, you got to think about scale. And time is a very big component of that. Number two, selling everybody's everything. You're looking for the best spiff, one-time, markup, kickback, whatever gimmick you want to call it. Well, the problem is that if you have to manage 10 different vendors for one offering in your business – that's also the same problem. It's a time burn and that's not scalable. And your guys calling the vendor every time there's a problem and sitting on hold, well, I hope they have very good on hold music. I like Mario. That's what we use. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying that's not scalable either. You know, right. the, other, the other thing is not, not as much in the UK, but definitely in other parts of the world, thinking that you can do everything on your own is also a mistake. And one that we learned the hard way as an MSP as well, you know, trying to buy stuff, finance stuff, maintain stuff, put stuff in a rack, load software, interconnect with five different vendors to try and cook something together is not easy. It's really not. And so, you know, the time is always the component that people never factor, right? They always think that it's just going to work and they're never going to have to factor man hours into it until they realize that they've burned engineer time that they're never going to get back. 
So that's also been a very challenging mistake that many people make because they think it's just turn the key and go, and it never is. Um, you know, from a, from a telephony standpoint, a mistake that we've seen people make is just because the ring centrals and the gammas and the eight by eights and the Microsofts of the world say, Hey, we're going to just jam everything together and you're just going to sell it as an offering. Doesn't mean that the government cares. Everybody has regulatory concerns, taxation concerns, obviously in the UK, G- GDP, uh, you know, the, um, what is it? The GDPR. Yep. There you go. Sorry. I forgot the acronym. No, I can, I can barely pronounce it, let alone explain it to people. So you're not. Yeah. Even... <laughs> so, so all of these regulations seem to crop up. And when you're dealing with a software, you know, or cloud or, 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 you know, subscription based solution, all of a sudden something that you thought was not necessarily in the bullseye of that regulatory concern is, uh, in the United States, a very big one is um, the Healthcare Act, right? Where every patient's record should be covered. And when you think about a phone system, you're like, well, I don't have the custom, the patient's chart in there. I don't have their medications in there. I don't have their, pres- you know, their office notes in there. But if they, they call in for a prescription renewal and they put their name and the prescription that needs to be renewed, now all of a sudden that's propri- that's patient data, right? Or if they call in and leave something other than a phone number, now all of a sudden it's patient data. And if you record those phone calls as part of your business, now all of a sudden you're capturing data that otherwise is considered patient data. That scenario could apply to many things and many industries. So at, you know, PCI is a great example, right? With credit card, you know, you know, collection of numbers over the phone and so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, you know, just offering something because it looks like it's easy doesn't mean that you're okay. And the last thing you want to do is get that certified letter in the mail saying that you have to provide information, appear somewhere, or figure out how much the penalty is going to be because that's where it starts, right? And uh, that was a mistake we made as an MSP early on before BVoIP was around. We didn't realize all the telecommunications taxations um, complexity, which ultimately came back as a very expensive bill. Actually, I still have a copy of the check on the wall. It was about 80K. Never forget it. And that's a reminder to you. So never forget that lesson. Yeah. 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 The interesting thing to me, I think, about uh, VoIP specifically is that um, telephones traditionally are something that end users believe just work. You pick up the phone, you get a dial tone, you call somebody. And of course, with increasing complexity, um, you're also going to get more problems, more challenges. So when I was running an MSP way back in the day, um, we started uh, you know, dabbling with VoIP. If somebody didn't pick up the uh, their phone and didn't immediately get a dial tone or good quality, you know, uh, it would hit the fan. They would go absolutely crazy about the things. So the expectation was really quite high. Is that still the case across the industry, do you find? Yeah, I think to a large degree it is. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's something that people have to understand. Um, as MSPs, if email comes a little bit slower, it's not the end of the world. But if the phone doesn't work, the sky's falling. Um, and it, it is, it's something you have to consider. I think cell phones have really made people more realistic to the expectation that sometimes everything isn't going to work. And, and granted, everybody has one, right? You know, like you're seeing kids in second grade walking to school with a cell phone. So for what it's worth. But that being said, I think what it comes back down to is MSPs understanding resiliency and redundancy at the network level, helping that conversation. I don't know about you, and and maybe we're just lucky here where I am in the U.S., 
broadband is cheap and there's many people providing it. But if even in the areas where there isn't, a cell backup for data isn't uncommon. And trying to explain to your customer that the insurance policy for your internet provider going down is a secondary internet provider all of a sudden makes a lot more sense than waiting for them to come back online and sending everyone home. I will tell you that what's becoming a lot more common, though, is that people still go to the office place, still go to work. But the remote worker has really started to take hold uh, in a big way. And I think one of the things that's important is that the ability to have that person that's not sitting in the office having access to all the same office resources, including the phone system, wherever they are, is just as critical. And for a guy that flew as much as I did over the last year or two in as many of the countries that I have, you would call me and not even realize that I'm not sitting at my desk. I could be in Australia, I could be in London, I could be in Canada, I could be in Philadelphia, and you think you're just calling the office that day. And and that's where it's gotten to, but you're absolutely right. That concern over the end user freaking out that the phone isn't working is real. If you do follow best practices and you have the networking part down, we feel that you can confidently deliver an answer that solves that need. But I think cutting corners and, and you know, putting duct tape solutions in and putting in cheap gear and not putting in what you should rather than going to the store because it's, you're on fire and the customer's you know, having a fit, a fit is not the answer. And that will always come back to bite you no matter what you do. Why would you say MSPs work with BVoIP? You know, honestly, I think one of the cool things, um, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're fighting their competitor, their vendor, right? They're competing with their vendor. Um, we're, we, we, even next door, right? We have BVOI partners local to where our MSP is. We will take end user leads and deliver them to BVOI partners because we do not sell direct. Many a time, and you know, for you know, certain instances and certain large opportunities, I've sent my guys out. We put the 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 MSPs, you know, polo on. We show up to the meeting as them with their people, and we help them close deals. But at the end of the day, we're never going to compete with our customers, which in this case are our partners. It, you know, and and not to to steal that you know the Dado style, which is kind of how I, I mentioned it earlier on in the game, but we really feel that the channel only experiences what makes us different, right? That's very uncommon for VoIP or telecommunications type companies because usually the channel program of these companies is just off to the side and they're selling direct and many times you know, they end up intersecting and who ends up winning is the sales rep working for the company, not the partner, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's one thing. The other thing is we've made the technology really consumable, right? We've made it make sense so that somebody who has really good networking skills and understands how something, you know, as easy to navigate as an Office 365 or Google Apps portal can apply to telephony, right? And so that's why we really have doubled down and made a a strong investment in the centralized the delivery method and, and, you know, VoIP RMM and the ability to easily deploy something as simple as the mobile phone app or the Mac app or the Windows app or reprovisioning of the Polycom phone that has happened to be misbehaving or for whatever reason. We've made these steps that otherwise would be 
hard, you know, not hard, but time consuming to do and simplified them, right? So, you know, making the technology MSP centric is not something that I think a lot of companies do a really good job of. I think they always build to the end user and the partners come later. To us, the partner comes first and the end user is only there because of them. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head and I'd like to explore that MSP-centric view a little bit more in a minute. But before we get there, what type of MSPs are you finding yourself working with at BVoip? It's a great point. I mean, everybody, I feel like the word MSP (laughs) (laughs) evolved from VAR, evolved from IT guy. I mean, it's a label that many people call themselves and maybe they're not quite there yet. Um, when we first started, we really started target. We really targeted more mature companies that were really concentrating in the pure play, or the majority of their income came from that managed services um, income, right? Uh, which, in those cases, from a United States standpoint, would be like ten headcount, two million in turnover, and something like thirty to fifty customers that they were managing. Now, granted, that's a U.S. metric, and that doesn't necessarily apply everywhere. That's where we started. And we really kind of avoided the one, two, three, four, five-man band simply because we didn't have things far enough along uh, uh, from a recipe standpoint to make it simple for the small guy to consume. And then this past year, we finally got to that threshold where we said, we have a price point and we have a we our tools are far, far enough along that we could take a smaller shop and give them the ability to do this, make money, and really get them to a point where they finally got that volume going that they can actually see some discounting and some benefits from us, right? So instead of coming in at that middle tier and going up, yeah, we're still, you know, we'd love to work with every company in the world if we could, but to some degree, you know, we, we really started from that kind of more mature MSP and worked our way up. Now we have an answer for the smaller guy that really maybe is just starting or maybe has 10, 15, 20 accounts. They're not quite, you know, you know, behemoth yet, but they really need to standardize off of building blocks, right? And we feel that we finally got to the point where we've gotten the simplicity part down enough for them to consume that. So, I mean, quite frankly, that's really just started probably about, you know, the beginning of this year, 2017. Um, And, you know, before then we would try and really, you know, and and this is really European centric, right? Work through the distributor, but SaaS really isn't consumed that way, right? I mean, you can buy boxes from anywhere and please do. I don't want to sell you any boxes. You, You like a distributor? You work with that distributor, right? You want to buy routers and devices and patch cables and and headsets? Please, do what you like. But from a SaaS standpoint, I think the important part was being able to get it to a point where, you know, people could easily subscribe and people could easily deploy. And, And that ease of deployment is something that we, like I said, had to get to a certain level before maybe the skill set was, you know, enough that a smaller MSP can consume it, if that makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. What about geographically, George? Where where are your clients based at the moment? Obviously, uh, we talked about the tri-state area and you work locally from the MSP level, but BVoip, a SaaS product, is it global? Do you have uh, clients here in the UK? 
Yeah, we, we are global. Uh, and it's funny that I say that, right? Because, you, you know, even 10 years ago, a global company meant something completely different to me. Uh, but yes, we, um, we leverage the relationship that we have with Rackspace, who is a pretty recognizable industry name from a tech standpoint. Uh, and we've rolled out BVoIP SaaS solution in North America, so U.S. and Canada. Uh, actually, we've even gotten into some parts of South America, but that's really still emerging. Uh, of course, you know, in the UK, that's that's where Rackspace's is endpoint is until they build out a Germany data center, and that's a whole different animal. Our friends are you know, on the other side. Uh, but yes, we're in the UK, we're in Australia, we're in New Zealand. The English-speaking parts, really, right? You know, because that's you know where where we have personnel, right? And and as we build out into these other areas, we'll handle the language barrier as we we cross into these countries. But at the end of the day, yes, where are our MSPs? We have something. Of, uh, I think the count as of a couple of days ago was 558 managed services partners uh, across you know all of the areas that I just mentioned, right? North America, UK, and Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand of all different sizes. Um, we actually just, uh, our, we're just about to cross the 5,000 end user deployment uh, marker, which I think is a cool number. Uh, I like the zeros at the end. Yeah, uh, congratulations, so, yeah. Thank you. So, so that's, we're, you know, it's getting to the point where we're starting to see some recognition from the industry. Um, the, we actually just uh, got some recognition from Frost & Sullivan, which is a Gartner-type company, and they gave us the disruptor tag this year. Uh, as we're, we are disrupting the model in North American um, unified communications as a service, right? And we want to continue doing that. Um, as we go through this MSP channel and, and deliver these solutions. So you got your, uh, you mentioned Rackspace, you got the data center, that's down London Gatwick, I think, isn't it? Um, yes, that they, have yeah. five, they have five data centers in, in the UK and we're in London Gatwick in the UK. And then we yeah. actually have their sister data center in Amsterdam for some redundancy. Um, what about fit on the ground, George? Do you, do you have staff in the UK at the moment? We do. Um, I mean, we've always had technical resources in the UK, just because our team is split up from a tech, you know, from a uh, onboarding, training, and support standpoint uh, between US and Europe. So we've always had a technical resource in the UK, uh, and we've actually added on to that. But we just brought in sales operations uh, on the ground uh, as of December of 2016. So coming into you know, this, this fiscal year. So uh, we've started to build out our sales team in the UK out of uh, Wales, Reading. Uh, I think we have somebody coming on board uh, somewhere in the London area uh, shortly. And we really feel like, um, you know, it's an area that we've always concentrated on from when we started the company, you know, three and a half, uh, almost four years ago. But we haven't had boots on the ground uh, until this year uh, from, a, from a customer facing standpoint. So one of the things I pride myself on, George, is with these interviews, um, I like to put myself in the uh, the mindset of the MSP. And I know I'm going to guess there's a lot of MSPs listening to this, a lot of IT business owners listening and saying, this solution sounds really cool. Why have I not heard about it before? You know, it looks like it's going to make uh, VoIP uh, a lot easier uh, to deploy to my clients. They've got feet on the ground in the UK. And of course, the next question is going to be, oh, but you don't integrate with the tools that I use. What tools do uh, does your platform integrate with at the moment? We're talking, you know, the Autotasks, the ConnectWise, all the other tools. Um, I don't need to tell you uh, as an MSP owner the amount of tools you use in the business. What does BeVoIP integrate with? I mean, there is a long laundry list of integrations, and we 
as an MSP, standardized on ConnectWise, and it just happened to be what we fell into uh, back in 2010. Uh, but we understand there's a lot of solu solutions out there, like the um, the Max focuses and the especially around the RMMs, which I'll talk about in a minute, right? The the Lab Techs and the Kaseyas and the you know Ataras, and you know we actually had a cool concern around alerting, right? You know, which is a little bit different than the VoIP thing. Critical alerting was like p things get lost in the noise, right? Your systems generate all of these alerts, tickets, but some of them don't mean anything and some of them mean your customers down, right? So we actually did a strategic partnership uh, around critical alerting and we built out integrations to any, it started off with, we wanted an answer to the after hours call escalation. That was our original like kind of drive, right? We're trying to solve the problem, which we here at BVoIP even use, right? We've set up our team schedules to after we're outside of live call hours, right? And if a call comes in that needs, you know, emergency attention, we want to make sure that that call gets routed instantaneously without human intervention uh, until somebody actually deals with that issue. And so the integrations from an alerting standpoint exploded all over the place, right? Watch guards and sonic walls and all of the RMMs out there. And I can go through a laundry list, but if, if it's an RMM, it's probably on the list. Um, and there was about 50 integrations that popped up from an MSP-centric world right around critical alerting. From the VoIP standpoint, the, the, the names that I'm going to tell you don't, shouldn't surprise you. Salesforce, which now has Salesforce Desk, Zendesk, Fresh Service and Fresh Desk. Uh, of course, ConnectWise and Autotask, which are the staple from a PSA standpoint. You have, um, you know, other solutions out there that we're still working with, like the Tiger Paws of the world and, and different types of solutions, all MSP-centric. The great part about a lot of these integrations is that they actually extrapolate it down to the end user level, right? Um, Salesforce is a pretty, pretty big behemoth, right? NetSuite is a pretty big behemoth. IT companies um, use more, you know, sometimes off-the-shelf type solutions like that and then customize them for themselves, or they use MSP-specific and customized tools. Like, let me give you an example. ServiceNow is really something that's really starting to come into the MSP world at a high end, uh, but was really more for HR and, and, and other solutions, right? So we really feel that from a VoIP standpoint, you will find no other UCOMS company out there that integrates to more companies than we do. And I, I don't just put that out there. I, it's, it, yeah, I dare you to go and find it. It just doesn't <laughs> exist. Well, I'm going to throw it out there, and we'll, we'll, we'll put this in the show notes for listeners as well. But if you go to www.bvoip.com forward slash integrations, holy cow, um, you're not making this stuff up either, as well as the names that we recognize, Autotask, NetWise, uh, LabTech. You've got some tools in there that you integrate with that I've not even heard of yet, but you know, um, uh, presumably they've got a following out there. There's, um, uh, there's other things like Kaseya, Rackware, a Kimball PSA, NetHelpDesk. There is hundreds on there. My goodness. Yes. <laughs> yes. Seriously. And we take it seriously. We we understand where our development dollars should go into is more of this because it doesn't just help the MSP. What it does is it takes the MSP in and it immediately gives them a spark with their potential customer or existing customer where they're now being viewed as a knowledge expert in their system rather than you're just delivering me a commodity, right? And I think that that's where things go from here. You know, anybody can put a box on the ground and say, your computer's here, have a nice day. Anybody can put a phone on a desk and say, here, it's going to ring, have a nice day. The strategic 
angle is where I think things really separate the guys that are, are going to grow from the guys that are just making do. Uh, and I think that this is a tool to get there. Absolutely. I couldn't disagree. Could not disagree. Let's change tack slightly. Let's focus on you as a CEO, if we may, for, for a few moments, George. Um, what companies do you admire? I'm sure I could tell you all of the companies that you'd expect, right? Apple and Microsoft and Dell. Um, and I could talk about the reasons why I like those companies, you know, versus the expected answer. I, I really appreciate the guy. And maybe maybe I'll use a Philadelphia icon, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I, I really appreciate the guy that literally came from nothing with all of the odds stacked against them and somehow ended up in a position that nobody expected them to be in. And there's many examples of that out there, right? I mean, and the guys that didn't necessarily go to university and, um, you know, from there built out their career, maybe they disrupted something, created something on the fly, built something that took off. And those are the people that really excite me, right? And maybe that's just my background, right? Because my parents immigrated in with nothing and I was born here and kind of had to work my way out from nothing. Nobody handed me a silver spoon. And quite frankly, I've learned my lessons the hard way, maybe because I didn't have the people telling me otherwise. But um, yeah, I mean, the companies that I really like are, are the companies that, you know, and again, you know, for whatever reason, money's floating around out there and you could become an overnight sensation. But I, I love the Zuckerberger story, right? Where he literally left Harvard, built something on the fly and cracked a, a social thing that really is now 2 billion users worldwide, right? I love the Michael Dell story where he was building white boxes in his, in his garage and, and ultimately built a, a massive company uh, with a little bit of help from his father. Uh, I could say that the the I could put a taboo word out there, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and sure, he got a little million dollar loan from his father, but you know he he did build a, a real estate empire that you know really came from just making deals. Uh, and it just goes to show you that it, it you know life is hard. There is no argument for me on that. But if you have enough tenacity, you can do anything. What about yourself, George? What what hurdles have you faced personally and how have you overcome them? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, first generation of any family in any country is difficult, right? You know, where your family just hasn't been around long enough to have the support system around them other than themselves, right? Uh, my parents came out of the Middle East, um, you know, Christians, which is a minority over there, by the way, and, and came into the United States because that's where money grew on trees and, you know, the American dream with the white picket fence and the dog. Well, you know, life's not that easy. And quite frankly, um, you know, my parents, you know, were, hard, you know were, were, were laborers, right? My father was a carpenter. My mom was a nurse. Um, you know, those were, you know, double shifts, triple shifts, working check to check, put food on the table. And uh, I learned early on that um, nobody's going to come and give you a handout. Now, I know that may be counterintuitive to all the venture capitals and private equity companies out there, but um, nobody handed me anything. Uh, my parents had me working probably before I should have been at like 12, 13, 14 years old saying, if you want stuff, go work or else you're not getting it. And uh, I remember I, you know, I uh, actually went to um, – I had the option to follow my friends to Catholic uh, secondary school or high school or go to the public school. And tuition was something like $4,500 a year. 
And I remember working 60, 70, 80 hours a week loading trucks and working in heat and, and just really, you know, hard labor just to get enough money to pay for tuition um, to get to hang out with my friends during the school year uh, when I was a kid. So I realize how hard it is to make a buck. And I understand that, you know, I'm not going to get any inheritance or nobody's going to come and give me a million dollar check like our friend, Mr. Trump and say, go have at it. So everything I've done has been the hard way, which is why I say I, I, I wish sometimes I would have gotten the heads up that maybe what I was doing was not the easier way or the hard way, you know, of things. Uh, and, and quite frankly, it's, it's made me more appreciable when I, when I, I do get the feedback, right. As an MSP, you know, in that industry, I loved when I got somebody who was outside of the castle mentality, right. Oh, you're a competitor. I can't talk to you. And let's talk about what's working, right. And how things are going and, and what makes sense. And I really appreciated that coming up to the ranks and, and even today, right. Some of the, you know, the people that you've already talked to in the past, like my friend, Chris Day from IT glue or, or Paul McNeil from Y sync or the Dozal brothers from bright gauge, uh, and so on. I mean, these are guys, uh, I have a good friend of mine, Phil Claxton, uh, who, who originally came from Dexter, Desk Director. These were guys that, you know, really p gave me a, a large education on what makes sense and works versus maybe doing things the hard way. And I think that that's something that really resonates well with me, even to this day, where I'll even go out of my way to help people just because I wish somebody helped me. Um, I, you know, from, from another aspect, money's not cheap, by the way. Um, it's not, it's, you know, it may seem simple that all of this funding is out there and that you can you know, just like start printing money all of a sudden and you're good to go. Uh, it's not. And the second you start looking for that money, uh, and ultimately hopefully get funding from somewhere or somebody partners with you or, or somebody helps fund you. Well, um, man, you have to answer to many, many more people than you thought other than yourselves. And, and all of a sudden, the questions become a bit harder than you think. Uh, luckily, I'm at a point now with BVoIP where I have no partners. Uh, I, took, I borrowed money from my own MSP, which I'm the only principal of. <laughs> and uh, I, I have raised no outside funding to get to this point, surprisingly. Uh, which probably is why nobody in the UK and probably your followers listening to this tub, tub, yeah, tub blog uh, podcast have heard of us. Uh, we're doing it the, the old school way, if you would. And, and we're, we're not trying to work hard for, for no reason. But uh, if I could have afforded to put people in the UK earlier, I would have. Um, you know, if marketing didn't cost as much as it did, I would have you know, been, been there. But everything does have a cost and you have to spend wisely. Yeah. Well, I can tell you now that you're going to get known very well by MSPs in the UK. I can predict that uh, 2017 is going to be a year that BVOIP do very well in the UK. So I hope let, so. <laughs> let me put you on the spot for a minute, if I may, George. What's something that you're not very good at? Uh, I'll tell you what. Um, I am not very good at. Um, I am not very good at. the stuff that you would think I would be good at. I'm not very good at accounting okay. <laughs> and bookkeeping. I'm not very good at um, putting 
technical forecasting down, right? Like I can give you gut feelings, but I'm not a guy that's going, yeah, you know, that's easily able to extrapolate that out to the point where I can sit in front of you and say, I know to the dime when things are going to turn or what that ROI is going to be or, or what have you, right? Um, I, have to I have to rely on others to do that homework for me, right? Um, I'm not good at always taking no as an answer. Um, quite frankly, uh, I've been told um, that I'm sometimes a bit too abrupt and straightforward. And maybe that's a, a Philadelphia, New York characteristic of me. I don't know. Uh, but sometimes I'll just tell you I have a problem with you or, or just have it out. And not in a negative way, but like I just like to get it over with, right? Let's just get through it. And not everybody appreciates that, which comes back to another thing that I may not be great at is – you know, perceiving things from other people's view all the time. Uh, everybody thinks differently. I've learned that over the years. Everybody consumes things differently. I've learned that over the years. And it's very difficult for me at times to really understand how to deliver messages in a way that's best consumed by certain people. Sure. Uh, and I get that not everybody likes everybody and that's just the world that it is. And, and I'll tell you that I don't fall asleep because somebody's, you know, I don't lose sleep because somebody's upset with me, you know, like, Hey, listen, I get you're upset with me. I'll work through it with you. And if you can't get over it, then it's okay. You know, like it, it's just not going to happen or it's not meant to be. Uh, and that's just how I reason with things. And maybe a lot of people don't like that approach. And, and I understand that. Uh, I've learned over the years uh, I, that, you know, my, my wife, now wife uh, says it's the softer side of George, you know, where I'll like take my, get my foot off the pedal for a little bit to kind of try and absorb things from somebody else's view. So I'm working on it. Uh, but that's something that's always been challenging to me. Good answer. I like it. What about the business? What's the biggest pain points that you've been dealing with within either BVoip or your MSP business lately? Yeah, in my MSP, one of the challenges that I feel will never go away is trying to tell people that you could go to 10 different MSPs websites and they all say exactly the same thing and they all spell out all of the same verbiage, but then you try to fit to explain that there's a value proposition between the maturity of one company and the immaturity of another, right? And you don't like to point fingers and, and, and throw people's names under the bus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying certain companies are of a size where if things aren't baked to the point where it's really granular and the process is down pat, it could end up being very bad. And I think that's no differently than when I went to go shop for data center vendors, right? Rackspace's marketing looked the same as everyone else's marketing. But clearly, there is a differentiation standpoint. And unfortunately, at the MSP level, there, there's not really a Gartner for MSP, right? There is, you know, yeah, there, there's industry publications that we're all familiar with that do rankings and people submit their stuff every year. But there's no way for a guy that doesn't know technology to understand that you know something or you're positioned better for them versus the guy down the street. Likely, that's the challenge where you have to put do extra education with that prospect to get them over the hump to understand why you do have an answer for them that is different than the marketing of the other guy. And, and that's challenging as more and more MSPs come up and VARs convert to MSPs or people just start an MSP. Um, not everyone is created equal. 
Uh, and that value proposition gets more difficult over time to extrapolate, especially if the guy that you're trying to market to isn't willing to hear you out, right? Because there's a time investment there. So from an MSP standpoint, that from a sales perspective is starting to become challenging and you have to become more and more unique in the way that you market your business and deliver that message or else you're going to you know, close less deals. The other thing from an MSP standpoint that's becoming more challenging, in my opinion, is the, the specific verticals and how they're starting to become a little bit more regulated uh, from a governmental standpoint in some cases or from an industry recognition standpoint in some cases. So that becomes a, an area where if you don't spend the time to become versed in medical or financial or legal or whatever it is that you're trying to sell into, you're going to have a very difficult time keeping up or even being marketable in those areas, right? So I think as a business strategy, you have to really dig deep into what your your plan is because you can't just be everything to everybody anymore. I think that's not fair to assume anymore. I think you really need to have a game plan. From a BVOI perspective, uh, and even an MSP perspective, I think this is a dual one. Um, you know, um, money. you think when you invest money that it's going to immediately give you returns. It doesn't. <laughs> In many cases, and um, trying, you know, not everybody has vision, right? Not everybody can see into the future. There is no crystal ball, but um, many companies, and I'm sure you, Richard, could probably tell me of some where they've gone under because they took a chance that was a little bit too big for them. Sure. Uh, so one of the things that's been struggling from a B-Voip perspective on that front is, you know, when I first started B-Voip, I thought, hey, I'm going to show up to every show that I can, and I'm going to sponsor everything that I can, and I'm going to be everywhere. And I spent uh, probably about uh, 200 grand in event sponsorships in the first 16 months, probably about 60 to 70% of that money, black hole didn't get $1 of ROI back from it. And that is a hard, hard lesson to, to learn from. And, and I've learned from it. And, and there's a different way to go about it and, and measure that ROI, which is one of my things I don't do well. Uh, but clearly zero is zero. That's not very hard to explain. And so, you know, strategically getting your name out there, but reasonably doing so without outside funding has been a challenge. Um, being able to explain, uh, once again, just like an MSP has a hard time explaining to a prospect why they're different than the guy next door, I have to explain why I'm different than a Gamma, a BT, a Ring Central, And these companies are well-recognizable, been around for a long time, right? And so that's the challenging part, which maybe helpfully this, this podcast will help people understand why the MSP view on things helps differently than um, just being another company out there that just happens to work with MSPs. Uh, I will tell you that uh, as all things are concerned, finding the right people are, is always difficult. Uh, I believe that um, you know it helps being able to pull intelligent people from different parts of the world because as time goes on, I think what's happening is that there's a technology labor shortage on good people that know their stuff and you know being available for you to hire as a company. I think that applies to both the MSP and BVOIP. Uh, luckily, as BVOIP, I can pull from many different places in many different countries. 
uh, as my MSP, uh, I can hire remote people, but you know, sometimes you know, when you need people to walk in the front door, um, they need to be local, and there's just so many people local that, that have the skills that you need. Um, so those are some of the things that I grapple with from time to time. I think you may have answered this one, but my next question was going to be, what idea has worked so well within your company that you can't believe you didn't use it sooner? Would you say choosing a global workforce or something I else? Mean, in, in my MSP, we didn't take the global workforce as an option early on. We thought we had to hire everybody and put them in the same office and, and just grow it the old-fashioned way. And I think that hurt early on, honestly, because, again, we're in a major metro, and you think that there's so many people out there. But a lot of the major companies hire these guys before they've even finished school. Uh, and there's just not a lot of people out there in, in certain times of the year. As BVoip, we learned immediately from that. And when I broke that off from my MSP, we went, we went global workforce as, you know, from day one. Actually, I probably would not have had the support resources I needed had I not done that, right? Because um, half, half of my team uh, from a technology standpoint is actually based out of Europe. And I would have not had the enough time to build that team here uh, had I not started that. Uh, so, which is interesting, right? I have people ask me all the time, how is it less expensive to hire people out of Europe than it is in the United States? <laughs> uh, it can be done, uh, but it's not even about an expense thing. It's about time coverage. It's about having the skill set that you need, and it's about being able to get people that work well with each other, right? So that's one of the things that I learned from the MSP that in BVoip we did right away. Um, in my MSP, I, I, I tried, I, you know, even outsourcing um, the front lines, right? Using an outside help desk knock. And um, at first it looked really good. And then it did it. <laughs> I mean, it, it really, the customer experience level went down to the point where I couldn't afford to keep that solution in place anymore. And I had to, you know, bring up, you know, go, go backwards a little bit and kind of rebuild. Uh, so as an MSP, that, that is definitely challenging. As BVoip, the challenging part is, you know, and, and I don't want to knock anyone, but, you know, spending money with somebody else to run their show sounds great to them. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes sometimes something as simple as throwing a party and have Chris Tate come over with a little pizza is is, is simple enough to, to get people to, 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 you know, spend a little bit of time. And so it's thinking outside of the box. And I know that's a, a widely overused cliche, but I'm telling you right now, that's what gets people through. Um, and it's what's gotten me through to this point. Um, I've had many of our opportunity to bring on a partner or borrow money probably that I could have used, but was unantsy about cause you know, then you have somebody to answer to, uh, and, and grow faster. Um, I think everything happens for a reason. And I think that, um, taking too much on too quickly can create a, Walmart type effect where you're trying to be too big, too fast. And then all of a sudden the experience is garbage and that will easily destroy you before you get to a point where you're successful. What challenges do you think companies like Beavoit will face in say the next three years and equally applicable to your MSP business, George? Okay. For an MSP, um, what challenges are going to, to really affect us in the next three years? Um, I think some of the vendors that these MSPs and my MSP has been working with for eternity are starting to try and come down to our level. They're doing it really badly and they're stepping all over themselves. But at some point, they're going to figure out something that cracks through. 
and back to competing with your vendor. Imagine you competing against a managed services deal and you're on one side and Dell or HP is on the other. That is a real reality. It's happening in certain cities now in the States. And it's a hard, hard uh, wall to break through because of the brand recognition. That's one thing that I would definitely be concerned about as an MSP. Uh, and in my MSP, I, I am. Uh, the other thing I'm concerned about is um, trying to take the cloud competencies that are still hard to really grasp and mesh them with the stuff that we've been doing forever, right? You know, that moving needle of knowledge set is constantly growing and you need to seriously concentrate on taking your existing staff and keeping them current with the changes. And that means taking time that would otherwise be billable time or revenue generating time and shifting that to training time. Uh, and there's only so many hours in the day, right? So as a small MSP, you're going to have a harder challenge than a larger MSP that can, you know, you know, let personnel go for certain parts to, to do that training. I think that's a concern. From a B-boy perspective, there's people popping up every day. I mean, we popped up one day. Everybody can pop up one day. Uh, the, 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 the ability to disrupt in the SaaS world is un un unprecedented. It's, you know, some people call it back to the dot, you know, the late nineties with the dot com and, and all that stuff, but you can literally be anywhere with good internet access and a little bit of coding skills and all of a sudden pop up on the scene. So, you know, that's always a concern. I mean, but it is what it is. You need to, to worry about what you can control and what, and don't worry about what you can't. And also from a B-boy perspective, you know, my concern is, um, trying to find a way to play nice with everyone uh, behind the curtain, you know, it, it, up in front of everyone, it looks like everyone's playful and it's all nice and all oh, yeah. that. And then behind the curtain, and I wouldn't have known this as an MSP until I crossed the divide into vendor world. It's not pretty at times. There are some people stepping on other people's toes. And, and then there's this middle of the road where you're trying to stay in between sometimes. And, you know, it, it's becoming more and more difficult there. So um, I would assume as time goes on, that's going to become challenging because, you know, you try and become Switzerland as, as, as long as you can or stay to Switzerland as long as you can until you can't. And then, then there's a, there's a challenge there. So I, and maybe a lot of people don't understand what I'm saying. I'm sure you do. I uh, certainly but. do. And on a personal level, I think this is something I would love for you and I to talk more about. So I, I characterize myself as um, sort of the Switzerland of the MSP industry. And I exactly know what you mean. It can be more and more difficult. So uh, yeah, absolutely understand what you mean. Right on. So yeah, yeah th those are the things that come right to the top of my head. Cool, cool. So I'm very, very conscious of time. I've just realized how long we've been talking for. To be honest, George, I could carry on talking uh, for you forever. I've really enjoyed this interview. But just before we bring it to a close, I want to close with one sort of final question. Um, if you were to start your MSP business again tomorrow, what do you think it would look like? That is a great, great question. And I actually thought about this recently. If I literally were coming out now and just starting my MSP right now, I would immediately, immediately go cloud. As little hardware on-premise as possible is the answer because that's the part that you have to roll trucks for. 
I would partner with other companies in my area that are willing to partner right away. I wouldn't try and build it from scratch where I'd have to build my staff overnight in order to compete. Uh, I would also really think strategically about the vendors that I partnered with. Because if you partner with who everyone else tells you to and don't understand what that means, you could easily, and I've seen it, Richard, they will sign you up as a partner, you stumble, and then all of a sudden they took all of your customers and, and sent them to another partner. That's not cool. And that's crippling to a company starting out. So be very, very selective with your vendors and immediately go into an all-inclusive model. Do not do break fix. Do not do bronze, gold, silver. Do not do some stuff covered, some stuff not. You know, if you can't get your prospective customer to bite in that it's an all-in solution, then do not, do not sign them because you can't scale that way. And, and lastly, um, do not be afraid to sign multi-year deals as long as you can avoid having to borrow money. I think that borrowing money was a, a financing mechanism that you know was needed back in the early 2000s, late 2000s, where you had to make this massive investment to put up servers or a data center rack or buy equipment. And all of a sudden, a lot of that need is no, no longer necessary. Uh, all of these cloud-based solutions have kind of eliminated it to met to a hard degree. So, um, and, and it's not uncommon for an almost entirely cloud model other than the user's endpoint to be offsite. You know, no server, no application on site, no backup on site. You know, you're talking about the ISP, the firewall and the person's computer, uh, mobile phone, desk phone, whatever, scanner, printer. You're talking about peripherals now. You're not talking about the brain. Um, so the, I'm starting to see that become very common here in the States uh, and in Canada as well. And I think Australia and the UK and Europe are coming there you know, as the, the links are becoming stronger and a little bit more affordable and robust. I think that's going to be right there. And uh, I think that's going to help people scale faster than before. Great answer. What's next for BVoIP? You know, BVoIP, I think we're, we're continuing to invest development dollars into building out more automation. Uh, there's still some, some, you know, effort that we have to do manually at BVoIP in order to even do things like uh, provision new orders, for, at least at the base level. We really want to get to the point where a lot of that day-to-day -day activity is a button click and it's just deployed. And we're getting very, very close. Um, we've had to do a couple of architectural changes as our company has grown, even though we're only three plus years in. So now that we've adopted things like OpenStack, which is the cloud operating system, by the way, it's what Amazon and Azure and Google all run on, by the way. And we've adopted that. And, and, and again, on top of the Rackspace global network. And now that we've invested dollars into now automating our processes and building our, our, our front-facing experience to our partners into a centralized way, um, that's going to continue to drive our momentum. And I think that instant gratification is what, you know, the millennials of today apparently like, well, we want to try and get that, get to that as quickly as we can. Uh, and I think that building out more and more, uh, integration is still very much in our, in our driving and marching orders. And we're going to continue to do that. Uh, and lastly, what we want to do is, is really just, you know, grow healthily, right? 
Uh, like I said before, I, I don't mind sponsoring stuff, but you're not going to see me go drop a hundred grand to be a diamond sponsor at an event. Uh, you know, I, I want to grow because we're making the relationships that we should, and we're showing up and, and putting the hard work in that we should. And, and I think that you're going to continue to see us add headcount in strategic areas in order to accomplish that. George, you know, I'll let you in on a secret, and this is a fairly open secret. One of the reasons I do the podcast is so that I can speak to some of the smartest, most successful, you know, intelligent people in the industry. This has been an absolute treat for me. Uh, from an MSP level, there's absolutely loads of gold nuggets. Even for vendors listening to this, I think there's a lot of vendors could learn an incredible amount from you. So thank you so much for the time today. I've really, really enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. I'm going to try and get over, uh, you know, hopefully in Q3 and maybe we can connect when I'm over. I would love that. And just before you go, um, how can listeners get in touch with you to continue the conversation? Absolutely. Well, you can find us online at bvoip.com. Um, that's pretty simple right there. Uh, I actually do answer my phone, believe it or not. So if you call <laughs> any number on the on the website, and uh, if you actually wanted to get, you know, call George, uh, I'm extension 150. Uh, I say that brashly, uh, but I answer my phone m many of the times, regardless of where I am. So there you go. That's uh, quite remarkable nowadays. <laughs> there, there you go. And, and I'm on, I'm everywhere, right? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, all that. So, um, you know, by the way, the spelling of my last name, B as in boy, A-R-D-I-S-S-I -S -S -I, for the guys that uh, want to Google me or LinkedIn me or send me a message, uh, George Bardisi, feel free. I am, uh, my, my, my now wife says that my mobile device should just be stitched into the side of my face. Uh, because I'm always on yeah. <laughs> and, and we should say congratulations on your recent marriage. I mean, we're, we're speaking here today. We're in uh, towards the end of June. You got married like a little under two weeks ago, didn't you? Yes, I am. I am. I'm still playing with my ring. It still doesn't fit. Yeah, it's like, you know, far into me. Um, yes, my my yes, my fiance, uh, who I've been together with for almost nine years before getting married, uh, put up with me for that long and waited for that long. So I, I, I give her uh, mass, mass uh, thanks for putting up with my madness. Uh, but yes, thank you very much. We, we finally hitched and, uh, and now we're actually still planning where we're going to go on a honeymoon uh, because she is uh, a busy summer worker uh, for her job. Uh, so her busy times of summertime and we're planning on figuring out where we're going, but yes, maybe the UK is where we end up. How about that? You'd be more than welcome here in the UK and, uh, my new wife, uh, myself as well. And, and I would love to welcome you over here. So, uh, Fantastic. hopefully one way or another, we'll, uh, we'll get to raise a glass and, uh, and, uh, meet each other in person very soon. Would love that. Thank you very much. George, thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure and I'll look forward to speaking to you soon. All right. Talk soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners. You can find the show notes and the bonus content for this interview, along with dozens of other interviews with the IT business leaders over at www.tubblog.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing the show over at iTunes. Every review helps us reach new listeners and helps raise the bar for success in the IT industry. In our next episode, Richard speaks with James Kimbley to find out what's new in the world of Google.
Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you on the next episode. Have a great day. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's gogo.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.